Well, I don't know if you were saying thanks to them or welcoming me, but it was tepid either way. Good morning. You know, the syllabus on, and for my New Testament class says it's the start of the spring semester. It's 30 degrees out. It does not say spring to me. Now, I don't know why we call it the spring semester. Maybe it's just optimism. I don't know. But we still have January and February and part of March to come while it is still cold. So I don't want to be a bummer, but maybe we should call it second semester or next semester. Maybe it's just too depressing to call it mid-Indiana gray winter semester. But I'm glad you're back. Campus was empty without you, and it's wonderful to be able to connect together as we talk about God. So Christmas was just a couple of weeks ago, and I want to do a quick survey here about what you got for Christmas. How many of you got a new telephone for Christmas? Let me hear you. Oh, a handful of you. Okay, how many got clothes? Yeah, lots of you got clothes. How about electronic devices, computers, Xboxes, stuff like that? Some of you? Okay. How about gift cards? Yeah. Gift cards are that present that you give someone when you don't know what else to give them. It says, nothing says I care about you, but I don't have any idea what you want, like a gift card. Uh, How about this? Anybody get an engagement ring over the holidays? Yeah, a couple. You can always tell. They're walking around, you know. They're waving backwards, <laughs> just so you can see their hands. How many of you wish you'd gotten in the gate? No, we won't even do, we won't go there. Anybody get a new car? Somebody got a car? Yeah. You know what all these things have in common? There's some responsibility connected to them. With your phone, if you got a new phone, you got to plug it into a charger and charge it up. You got to charge it every day. If you don't, it just becomes an expensive paperweight. With your clothes, you have to wash them. Now, I know technically you maybe don't have to, but there is some kind of informal social contract we have with each other that suggests that it's a good thing if we don't stink. There was a guy my freshman year who missed that. Lived across the hallway. It's September, and it's beastly hot September. And he goes to gym class, comes back, takes his gym clothes off, drops them in a corner, puts regular clothes back on without benefit of the shower. Goes to bed that night without benefit of the shower, gets up the next morning, gets his clothes back on. He went several weeks without a shower. He t- he, he had the, the sheets on his bed, he slept on the same sheets until... Thanksgiving. Then he didn't bother putting sheets back on. His roommate was a friend of mine, and one day we went in there, and his gym socks were so crusty, we tried to see if we could stand them up. And if we could have gotten the balance thing right, we would have. So if, if you're that guy, don't be. The social contract is good with us here that says it would be a good idea to wash your clothes once in a while. Even the gift card things require some responsibility. Do you know that a third of gift cards that are given every year go unused? A billion dollars a year of gift cards go unspent. How many of you already spent everything on your gift card? 
<laughs> yeah, some of you. And that engagement ring. You know, you know, engagement rings don't take much maintenance. They're, they're, you got to clean them once in a while. You got to make sure the, the tines keep that diamond in place. Uh, I gave Patty an engagement ring when I was a student here a long, 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 long time ago. It was a great decision. It hasn't required much maintenance. But I tell you what does require maintenance, a relationship. You know, you got to do the right things and invest yourself in that relationship. And if you blow it, you got to apologize and make things right. And you got to give of the very best you have again and again and again, day by day by day by day. Because relationship is really the stuff of the little actions and the little things, good and bad, that accumulate one way or another. And if you give your best to it, you get a relationship that lasts and is worth every penny of it and every effort you have. And I say that because it's worth it with Patty because she is all that. <laughs> I mean, she is. But today, I want to talk to you about another gift, and it's a gift of a relationship. In Romans chapter 6, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, again, writes in Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he says these words, and I just want to make sure I get them exactly right. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This gift... This salvation is undeserved. You cannot earn it. It is free. It's available to you. And God in his mercy reached out to us and said, here, here's life, here's hope, here's peace. But while this is true teaching, you know, sometimes you can pervert the teaching a little bit by emphasizing the wrong thing by not paying attention to important things. And I think this has happened over the last 100 years or so of teaching in the Christian church. The last few generations especially, I've been able to keep an eye on. And um, I've realized that preachers make salvation real easy to receive. Come to the altar and pray a prayer or just sit in, your, in the audience and pray a prayer, nod your head, raise your hand. We, we want people to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we invite them to trade our sin for his forgiveness. We sing songs like Amazing Grace and his grace is amazing. Pray a little prayer, sometimes we say, and you're in. But I think there's a risk we take when we make salvation too easy. It's a free gift, but it's not easy. I don't know if you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor back in the 1930s and 40s. He was arrested by the Nazi government. He died in a prison concentration camp. And he, he wrote some amazing things. Listen to what he wrote in a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He talked about something called cheap grace. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate 
And then he goes on to talk about costly grace. And he says, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's costly because it calls us to follow Jesus. It's costly because it costs God the life of his son. The Bible says you were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be made cheap for us. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. It costs God dearly the life of his son. And my sense is that in our world today, far too many of us have received the gift of God freely, but have treated it cheaply. I did a survey at the start of my New Testament class this fall. It's just a simple question. It's to ask students to put on a, a, a continuum where they are between deeply committed in faith and I'm not even sure I know God. And you know where most of us were? Most of them were? Right there in the middle of mediocrity. I think I'm a Christian, but I'm not doing very much at it. My, my life is stale. My faith is mediocre. We want to be saved from the danger of eternity and hell, but... The problem is there's often little life change in us. There's no hunger and thirst for God. We say we're saved, but, we, but there's little evidence in the way we live. We discover what Olivia read in the scripture from Romans, how easy it is to sort of accept a life of sin in ourselves. Several years ago, I came across something written by a guy named Wilbur Reese. Listen to what it says. It's a request. Imagine stepping into a store and saying, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me do something uncomfortable. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. How easy it is to approach God that way. Saying, I want enough to be comfortable, but not enough to be transformed. Your youth pastor made it simple for you to become a Christian. You went to youth camp, and if you went to youth camp, it was hard not, not, not to make a faith decision because you were surrounded by people pushing you towards Jesus and pushing you towards Jesus, and then you come to Iwoo, and we do chapel three days a week, and some of you go, oh, I know. And some of you go, yeah. But you know what I realize about something you do day after day after day after day after day? It can get mundane as well. Every semester, we, have, we start the semester with Summit. Next week, we tee up spiritual development opportunities. You're surrounded by opportunities. Every other week, there's something called Coram Deo, which is a, a, a kind of a liturgical worship. On Monday nights, there's the well, praise and worship. On Thursday night, there's Awaken, a deep deeper dig into discipleship. Women have a group called Delight. Uh, periodically through the semester, we do Breathe. 
There's a Wednesday morning prayer walk. There are devotions in your halls. Your professors begin classes with prayer and are always available for spiritual conversations. And in the midst of an environment rich with spiritual opportunity, it's easy to get blasé about it and take it for granted. A recent survey on campus indicated a fair degree of dissatisfaction about the spiritual climate on campus. We want something that isn't. We want more. But the question comes to us, how do we get more? How do we get from blasé to passionate? Do we just hope the summit speaker hits a home run? Boy, I hope, I hope she's good this year. We're waiting for God to do something great at Summit, and we're waiting for that person to do something for us. Or we think if only chapel were better. By the way, that's a conversation I have with myself all the time. How do we make chapel better? Because we make you come, we want to make it worth your while. So how do we make it better? Partly, you can make it better by the attitude you come with, but if only chapel were better. Do you ever wish God would come along with some kind of spiritual magic wand and just go, bong, and get you on the head so you'd start getting it better? Sometimes we want that. Or is there something more? I don't know if you know the name A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was a pastor in Chicago. And in 1949, he was traveling by train from Chicago to Texas to do some speaking there. And he spent the night on his knees in the train car he was on writing as fast as he could write and wrote this, I don't know, 100 page or so book called The Pursuit of God. And in this book, there's a line in it in the very first chapter that just resonates with me. It says about God, He waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. He doesn't force himself on us. Now, he comes after us with his love and he pursues us with his love, but he doesn't force himself. He he waits for us to respond. He waits for us to seek him. The Bible says if we'll seek him and find him if we seek him with all our heart, but so often we just sit instead of seeking. He waits to be wanted. When I was in college, I will confess to you, I was a B student. I think my GPA at the end of four years was 3.2. Might have been 3.02. I know there was a three in there and a two in there in that order. But uh, I will confess to you, I was smart enough to be an A student But I was a B student because I was unwilling to be a C student. And I didn't pay the price to be an A student. Good enough was just good enough. I got the grades I was willing to settle for. I think the same thing is true of our spiritual lives. We get what we pursue. We are what we settle for. We chase hard after God, we get more of him, and if we're willing to settle for $3 worth in a paper sack, that's what we'll get. And I think God yearns for us to be more. He's there, he promises more, but we have a responsibility. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So how hungry are you? How thirsty are you? How much do you chase it? 
Seek and find him, and you'll find him if you seek with all your heart. Peter tells us that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. He's already given it to us, but at the same time he says that. It says, make every effort to add to your faith. He tells us things to pursue, goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And it says, make every effort. Give it your best. I want to give you three suggestions for this semester. I hope you'll listen to it, and I hope you'll put them into practice. The first one I'm going to say, and some of you are going to roll your eyes. I know you will, because I've had this conversation with some of you. Here's number one. Try harder. You go, oh, man, that's all I hear. Try harder, try harder, try harder. I know some guys, when you talk about, uh, about impure thoughts and about lust and about keeping control of your mind, all, all they hear is just try harder, try harder. You just need to try harder. And often in our trying harder, it's advice to say no to temptation more. Now, I want to flip that and say, what if we tried harder but tried harder in chasing God? What if we tried harder to say yes? What if we tried harder to pursue him? We sang the song, I'm running toward his love. I'm wondering if we really are. If you'd look at yourself and say, am I really running towards him? Or do I just wait and hope he'll show up and bop me on the head? Give it a better shot than you're given. Secondly, try smarter. Our theme this semester is the way or the ways of God. Last semester, we talked about the will of God, talked about how to discover his will, talked about finding his will, talked about different ways to experience his will. Hoping that you have some idea of that this year, this semester, we're talking about how do you live that out? You know what God wants you to be. What do you do as a result? As I was thinking about this chapel, I tried to come up with a great illustration for this. And so I asked our tech crew, can you, uh, can you rig a zip line from the balcony? so I can enter the stage on a zip line? And they said, no. They said it was too expensive. We'd have to anchor it down here, mess up the floor. I said, then I thought, what if, what if I hung a rope from the catwalk and rappelled down to get to the stage? And they said, you're 66 years old. And they just decided that it wouldn't be safe enough for me to do that. And so I did think about, like, a catapult or a human cannon and a net, but I didn't even bother suggesting that. If they weren't going to go for the zip line or the rope, that was far beyond what safety control would allow. I thought I could run down the center island, jump up onto the stage, and then I realized that would be a fair thing to think about if I were 20 years younger than I am and my knees were still okay. And then I realized, you know, I just could walk up which you saw that I did. <laughs> I still think that safety control was a little worried about that. <laughs> there are a lot of ways to get to the stage. What really matters for the speaker is he's got to figure out some way to get there. And there are a lot of paths that we can walk in our pursuit of God and in our experience of God's way and God's will. This semester, we're going to talk about some things that work for some people and might not work for you and some things that work for you that might not work for somebody else. We're going to have a fair number of chapels just scheduled by the university about one thing or another. 
But some of the things we're talking about will be spiritual disciplines that some of you have never tried. Some of you have never experienced. Some of us experience God really well through disciplined study of the word. Some of us experience God really well through a mode of worship. Some of us experience God really well through a walk in the woods in nature. Some of us experience God through solitude. We'll be having messages about that to say, what is it that really clicks with you? You'll hear messages from time to time about spiritual disciplines like fasting or solitude or, or a Sabbath, things like that. And, I, and some of the things will seem strange to you. And I want to encourage you to lean in and to experiment a little bit. When you hear a speaker challenge you to take a Sabbath, do that and see if maybe God will show up. And you'll, it's not just that I'm trying harder. It's just I'm trying in a way that he's designed me to seek him. Third thing, kind of quickly, try honester. Now, I know honester is not a word. Now, I know that for several reasons. One is that on my computer, a red squiggly line showed up under it. But I also am smart enough to know that's not a word. And since it's an institution of higher education, I probably should have said try honesty. But I think that's a beginning place that some of us need to be, need to be at. We just need to be honest about where we are. If you're passionate about God, be honest about that. If your spiritual life is tepid, it's lukewarm, be honest about that. If it's stone cold dead, be honest about that. Some of us are a little embarrassed about admitting where we are. We don't want to admit that we're spiritually stale or spiritually lazy. We don't want to admit that we're in the middle of a school that says we care passionately about God and we don't, you don't. But honesty is the beginning point of change. I want to close this time together with a prayer. It was written by Tozer. Tozer was a great man of God. He really was a great man of God. And yet he writes this prayer about himself, about his own spiritual journey, his honesty. I want to read it to you. I want you to think if maybe this is a prayer you could pray. Listen to what he writes. Language is archaic, but the message is applicable to us. Oh God, I've tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, Rise up, my fair one, my love, and come away. Then give me the grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. That last sentence about this misty lowland where I have wandered so long has resonated in my life from time to time. Saying, isn't there more? Isn't there more? Aren't you tired of just being mediocre? Aren't you tired? This semester, 
my challenge for you, my prayer for you, my passion for you is that you lean in and seek him. Say, God, there's got to be more. If there's not more, I'm desperate. I'm seeking you. And if you'll do that, you'll find him in a fresh way. The word says that. Can I pray for you? Lord, we sit in this room at the start of a new semester. Classes are about to start. Some classes have already started. Homework load piles up. Social life gets kicking in. Lots of things clamor for our attention. And you, you wait to be wanted. I pray for the men and women of this university that we would understand the greatest relationship that's ever available to us is our relationship with you. It costs you dearly. Forgive us for treating it casually. May we be men and women who follow hard after God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go make a difference for Jesus.